Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Welcome New Song Family Church, and if you're just joining us online somewhere else in the world, stop what you're doing right now and go get something so that you can enjoy the Lord's Supper with us later. All right, so if you're on your iPad or whatever, take your equipment with you, go to the kitchen, get whatever you need so that you can celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. I never imagined in my whole life that something as simple and as common as a meal with friends, uh, something I love to do, would become so complicated, but uh, that's where we are right now. Hopefully, this will pass sooner than later. I want you to pray with me, please, as, uh, as I start today. Lord, we, as we focus on this topic of communion, uh, bring us together by your Spirit. Uh, unify us in ways that only you can do. Lord, we long to be together again as a, as a church. Lord, we pray for healing of our land. We pray for healing in families who are currently struggling. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. And we ask you now for help to fully grasp and understand the great sacrifice you made on our behalf. We know that without you, we have nothing. Uh, the Lord's Supper, or communion as many call it, is done so that followers of Christ, together with other followers, can remember the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus that was necessary for our forgiveness. Every time we participate in this event, uh, we, we shout, we proclaim, we announce uh, the Lord's death until He comes back. Uh, it's one of the most cherished ordinances in the church. Although we live on this side of the resurrection, followers of Jesus are asked to never forget the sacrifice that was made for salvation before the resurrection. This practice was started by Jesus Himself. The Lord's Supper is about fellowship, family, it's about remembering, and it's about witness. Uh, Jesus uh, illustrated this by having this meal, the, the Passover meal, with His disciples. Luke 22 and all the other gospel writers tell the story that Jesus sent Peter and John ahead to prepare the Passover meal so that they could eat it together. John and Peter asked the, the normal question, uh, where would you like for us to do this? And he said, listen, as soon as you enter into Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Now, this would have been easy to find because most men did not carry pitchers of water. So finding a man carrying a pitcher of water would have been pretty straightforward and easy to do. Follow him, and the house that he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? Now this would have been a place like many other places around Jerusalem. Uh, houses were either single story or double story, but if it was a double story, it would have been a room on top of a room. And very often that upper room was the room that was reserved for guests, and it was prepared in that way. Jesus said, he'll take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up. That's where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city, Peter and John, and they found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal together. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I have been eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. It's really longing to have this meal with his, with his uh, disciples. And we know that this was the last meal before he was crucified. 
And he said that. He said that to them at that setting. He said, listen, this is going to be the last time I eat actually actual bread and, and drink uh, actual wine before uh, I am crucified. Now, we know the disciples didn't really get it at that moment, but as he broke bread and as he, as he shared the wine, uh, he said, do this in remembrance of me. The idea was that the bread broken was for them to never forget that Jesus Christ literally gave his body as a sacrifice. The wine was a symbol of, was to be the symbol of the literal blood that was spilled by Jesus Christ on our behalf. This blood being the promise of, of Jesus to save us. So, although this was accounted for in um, most of the gospel writings, the only other place we see this in Scripture is where Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, actually, get, actually disciplining them and uh, telling them that they were, they were not doing the Lord's Supper correctly. They were uh, approaching this event in a way that was not right. 1 Corinthians 11 really is where we have this record, 17 and following. Uh, Paul begins his letter. He says, listen, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. You guys are divided. You're not unified. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without starting with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. He goes on to talk about what a disgrace this is, that there are people in the church who are eating and, and getting full, actually getting drunk, but there are people who are, are not getting any of the food, so people are being ignored and left out. The problem that Paul was addressing in this letter, as it relates to the Lord's Supper, was an issue of gluttony, uh, an issue of, of, of selfishness, self-love instead of sharing, and... Um, they were eating instead of actually exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason why Paul dealt with this, I believe, is because unique to the church is this idea of unity. In Christ, the, the, the barriers are broken down. As he writes to the church of Ephesus, Paul made this statement. He said, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Uh, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. In Christ, Paul goes on to say that in Christ, the barriers, the, the racial and uh, cultural barriers are broken down, and in Christ, we are unified. One of the landmarks of our faith is that in Christ, we become one new nation. We become united. Jesus asked us to remember through this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, but to do it together, united. Paul kind of concludes in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, so listen, when you actually do this, when you do the Lord's Supper, do it together. Wait for each other. The Corinthians practice weekly communal meals to celebrate their new family in Christ. And it's kind of a lost, uh, wonderful tradition of coming together, eating together as the body of Christ. The church would, would have been comprised of rich and poor, and not all of them could find food, uh, and so others brought food so that they could also have food. Food was not being shared, and some were even uh, abusing alcohol and getting drunk. So when you do the Lord's Supper, when you gather, wait for each other. 
So this idea of the Lord's Supper is the idea of communion. It's the idea of family coming together as one, united. As we come together to remember, we are remembering um, what I would say is a horrific, horrible event, a horrific sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. So as family, we come together to remember something that's actually difficult and heart-wrenching. With the bread, remember Jesus' body broken. And with the wine, remember the blood that was actually spilled out, the blood which serves as his promise to save us. Now, most of us can relate to this if we have scars. If we've injured ourselves in any way, most of us will have a scar we can look to and say, oh gosh, I remember that one. Uh, every scar on my body, if I look at it or touch it, I remember the actual horrific event that produced the scar. I, I have a, a unique scar on my right knee that's shaped like an arrow. Uh, this is a long, long scar. This particular scar uh, was given to me uh, by my bicycle. Uh, I had 27 stitches. Uh, I tried to jump over train tracks uh, with my bicycle, and in doing so, uh, my front wheel caught uh, the one side of the train tracks and stopped my bike. It's amazing how solid steel can stop a bike. And I went over uh, the handlebars, and my knee uh, caught the gear lever of my, you don't want all the details, but long story short, I have 27 stitches, and I have a scar in the shape of an arrow. Every time I look at that scar, uh, there's a message for me. I have this horrible memory, and then I remember, oh, Brian, you should never jump over train tracks with your mountain bike. It's this continual, constant reminder that I should never attempt that feat ever again. I want you to know this morning that as horrible as that was, it doesn't even come close to comparing to the suffering and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, make no mistake, what we're being asked to remember is a horrific, violent event. Crucifixion is horribly violent. Jesus asks us not to forget the price that was paid. This is not for us to remember the resurrection, which is we celebrate, but to recall his horrific death. I'm telling you, any realistic portrayal or description of the suffering Jesus endured is hard to stomach. It's heartbreaking. I challenge you to go back and, and read through and, and remember what he did and see if you can't come away with it with a smile. I struggle uh, whenever I remember what Jesus Christ did for me. It creates often for me tears. Or I remember this was horrific what was done to him. Whenever you read articles about the crucifixion, uh, very often the articles come with warnings. I read one that said, material in this article may be unsuitable for younger children. Parental discretion is advised. The story of the crucifixion is really PG. It's PG rated. Movies that depict the suffering of Jesus are R-rated because of sequences of graphic violence. The Passion of the Christ is probably one of the most famous. I remember when I watched it, I remember sitting there watching this event unfold in front of me cinematically. And I looked around for a moment and saw that there were people watching the same movie I was watching and eating popcorn at the same time. I remember thinking, how can you eat popcorn in such a holy moment as this? The crucifixion is a horrible, horrific event that we are asked to remember on a consistent basis, to remember the cost. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. 
This remembering and this event is not for the purpose of being saved, but it's to remember that salvation comes only through repentance and faith in Jesus alone for salvation, who gave his life to make it possible. We remember that only, only Christ is able to save us. This is a very costly, horrific event that enabled us to have salvation. The bread and the wine are merely symbols and remembrance of what Jesus did. Placing faith in the bread and the wine would actually steal from the work of Jesus on the cross. We are invited through the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus did. Not what we can do, but what Jesus did for us. The meal is for memory. He spilled blood and gave his literal body. It is in memory of the suffering of the cross, not the victory of the resurrection. You know, Jesus, before he had any kind of physical attack, uh, suffered greatly in the garden, beginning to, to bear the weight of sin, my sin, your sin, the weight of the world on his shoulders. We know he was stressed because the Bible tells us that he sweat drops of blood, which is a physiological phenomenon called hematidrosis. And it, it comes under extreme stress. The, the capillaries, or capillaries, as we might say here, in the skin burst under extreme stress. Jesus went from this kind of stress in the garden as he agonized with God. He'd been asking God, please, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Take this away from me. But not my will, but your will. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his own, for 30 pieces of silver. And then he was taken to the Jewish leadership where Matthew tells us in Matthew 26 that they began to spit on Jesus' face and beat him with their fist. And some slapped him, jeering, saying to him, prophesy to us, you, you Messiah, who hit you that time? He was shamed. He was mocked. When he stood before Pilate, he was, they released a, a, a known terrorist, Barabbas, instead of him. Pilate ordered Jesus flogged with a, Matthew 27, 26 tells us, with a lead-tipped whip. So, this whip probably would have been 40 lashes, but in the hands of a Roman soldier, probably more. The lead tips would have, would have buried into his skin, and then as he hit it again, it would have ripped off uh, those pieces of skin that were full of blood, it would have popped. And then, over time, his back would have become this mass of, of, of stripped flesh and bleeding. The ground would have been covered in his blood. This was not a light little tap. This would have been a ripping of the flesh. And then if that wasn't enough, they formed a crown of thorns. And we understand thorns in Namibia. Big thorns. The kind of thorns that hurt. And this would have been fashioned. It probably would have been difficult for the soldiers to have put this together. But these crowns would have been placed on his head. And then they put a, a mock robe around his shoulders uh, as though he was uh, a king. They would have slapped his face and they would have hit him with a stick and the thorns would have buried deeper into his brow. And then they would have ripped the rope off of him and placed him to carry the cross. All of this would have created excruciating pain and then ask him to walk the 600 meters from from where he was judged to the point of the cross, where he would have been laid, where he would have been put on the cross. Once arriving to the location of where the cross was, uh, he would have been placed down. His, his arms stretched and pulled over, and uh, a, a wrought iron P 
piece of metal would have been pierced, would have been placed, forced through his wrist into the wood. This would have happened on both sides. Not stretched out too far, but just enough flex to where he could still pull himself up, which was the design of this horrific way of killing someone, an extended death. Just imagine the Roman soldier feeling this depression in his wrist to find the perfect place so that the, the, the nails could have been placed in the gap through his body, going across the nerves to, 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 to create the greatest amount of pain possible. And then, as he's laid on the cross, his, his feet would have been turned to where uh, the arch, inside the arch, that piece of the arch would have been put, both feet would have been put on top of the other. And at that point, the nail would have been placed through the inside of both arches of his feet. And then the cross would have been put up. He, he would have then, to give breath, would have had to pull on those nails to pull himself up. And then over time, his pericardium, his insides would have, been, would have been filled with fluid so much so that he couldn't breathe. Very, very often, death by crucifixion was, was by suffocation, asphyxiation. Jesus would have pulled himself up. And in those moments of pulling himself up, of this agonizing pain on his, on his hands and on his feet and pulling up in his lungs, it would have been then where he would have made his seven statements. He would have looked down at the Roman soldier throwing dice for his seamless garment, and he would have said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The second statement he would have said to the thief, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Pulling up again to make his third statement, he said, Looking down at the terrified, grief-stricken adolescent John, the beloved apostle, he would have said, Behold my mother, then looking to his mother, saying, Woman, behold your son. The fourth cry is from the beginning of the 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow. Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial suffocation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down on the rough timber. It's almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into his tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. Jesus gasps in his fifth cry and he says, I thirst. The body of Jesus is now in extremes and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. This realization brings out his six words, possibly little more than a tortured whisper, and he says, it is finished. His mission of atonement is completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, strains his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last cry, Father, unto your hands I commit my spirit. Now, in a normal crucifixion, to ensure that he suffocates, the Roman soldiers would have broken his legs so that he would not have been able to pull himself up again or to push himself up again to breathe. And then he would have died of suffocation. 
Jesus' legs were not broken. Jesus was the one who released his spirit. The, the two thieves that were on either side of him, their legs were broken. And when the soldiers came to Jesus, they saw that this was unnecessary. We know this because just to make sure, one of the soldiers threw a lance between his ribs and out of his body poured blood and water. This blood that was spilled out is the, is, is the new promise, the covenant that Jesus Christ came to save us. This blood is shed for you and for me. We're remembering this blood that was literally shared shed for you and for me. The blood, if you will, is the, is the last will and testament of Jesus that we have relationship with God through the sacrifice of His blood. Prior to Jesus, there are multiple sacrifices that had to be made according to the law. The blood of Jesus is that promise that Christ and only in Christ do we have salvation. It reminds us that we can be saved by no other means except for Him. We are invited to remember His sacrifice. And this sacrifice then propels us to take up our own cross. He said it over and over again before He was crucified. He said it, Luke 9.23, Take up your cross and follow Me. As we remember, we also remember that God is asking and inviting us to, to bear the same kind of suffering for His behalf. This unique and unusual uh, memoriam, this practice, to remember something horrible, something horrific, so that we, we can remember the salvation that comes only through Christ, is also a motivation for us to take up our own cross. We're, uh, we're not invited to take up our resurrection, but to take up our cross. This time, before we, before we meet Him, we're invited to a same sort of a suffering. We count the cost, and we're asked to remember the cost that we must bear. Let's remember what God has done for and announce it. And we announce it through our lives. As we take up our own cross, we become the ones who witness. We are become, become the ones who announce. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, listen, every time you come together and do this, you do it together because Jesus Christ unites us. You, you do it as a memory of the, the body that was given and the blood that was spilled, but also you do this and you announce uh, this beautiful, beautiful good news. By taking the Lord's Supper, you are announcing that not only does Jesus Christ save, but that Jesus Christ has saved you, that Jesus Christ died for you. Paul says, to take it in any other way is dangerous. He says, examine yourself so that you don't take this in a way that dishonors God. It says when people take this in a way that it is, is done in a way that is not worthy of what Christ has done, it says, listen, some of you have gotten sick. Some of you have even died because you've taken the Lord's Supper in a way that did not honor Him. We are publicly declaring that Jesus died for us. That's the main reason why whenever we take the Lord's Supper as a church, we say, only if you are a follower of Christ, a believer, can you take this Lord's Supper? Because to take it in any other way is, is an insult to the very message of the Lord's Supper. That is that Jesus Christ died for us. Examine yourself before you take this today. We cannot receive the forgiveness of God. Therefore, you cannot receive this unless you experience the forgiveness of God.
And then you become a living testimony to what God has done in your life. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're invited to examine ourselves. Drink and eat in a worthy manner. Do so with unity. Remember the sacrifice and the promise that is ours because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And do so having received the forgiveness of God. Do so righteously. In other words, drink and eat as to proclaim the death of Jesus Christ. We're told that we're to do this until Jesus returns. Or until we die, whichever comes first. But we always are proclaiming the horrific, violent sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid on our behalf. So hopefully you took some time to grab uh, either some bread or, or a cracker. In my case, I'm using a cracker and uh, also some, some juice uh, to represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God for it with his disciples at that feast. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together before we do this. Lord Jesus, we want to pause and we want to thank you uh, for your sacrifice. Lord, we, Lord, we agree that you literally gave your body for us. And so Lord, as we take this, we remember your sacrifice. It's in your name I pray. So let's eat together. After the bread, and we're told in Scripture that it was actually after they finished supper, uh, Jesus took a cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise between God and his people. And this is an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Blood is not what we're drinking today. We're drinking a symbol of the blood that he poured out on the cross, which is this promise, this last will and testament, if you will, that, that Jesus Christ only can save. We do this to remember the blood Spill. So together with your cup, let's take this together. Let's pray together. Think about that horrific but wonderful day of Lord that you gave your life. So we know that your sacrifice was enough once for all time. And Lord, remember that. Lord, we do not trivialize your blood or the sacrifice of your body by, by adding to your sacrifice with other means of salvation. Lord, we know that salvation comes only through you. And so, Lord, we lift you up today. We thank you for the sacrifice, Father, that only you could make. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.